Hello and welcome to Presbyterian Church of the Covenant. This is the podcast recording for March 29th, 2020. It is the fifth week of Lent. My name is Reverend Jason Warren Griffiths, and I'd like to say thank you very much for joining us. I'd also like to say I am extremely encouraged by the team of servants that I get to work with, and I'm grateful that we get to put this worship service together as we have been doing. I uh, have a couple announcements for us. Two saints of ours have gone to meet Jesus our King. George McTiernan passed into the Kingdom Triumphant on March 16th. Patricia or Patch Svenison met met our Lord Jesus the Christ on March 24th. When it's safe to gather, we will do so, and we will celebrate George and Patch, their lives and their ministries. Next week is Palm Sunday. We are going to be trying some new things around here in hopes to getting in front of one another virtually, we're going to be trying roundtable coffee hours. Be on the lookout for emails from me and from your deacons to reach out and talk to you. Also, we're going to be live streaming our Monday Thursday service so that we can all commune together. Although we'll be apart, we will take communion together together. Um, I'd also like to say two years ago on this Sunday, I just arrived back in California from Michigan and I was about to start at Northeast of the Well, a parachurch organization, as the men's pastor. Last year on this Sunday, I was preaching at a neutral pulpit site, and the search committee from Presbyterian Church of the Covenant had sent the team out to watch me preach. I am so thrilled that God brought me through this door, and I am honored and humbled and praising God continually that you all are my family. And I'm grateful for you. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. Put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. Let us worship the Lord.
Hello, this moment is for the young ones and the young at heart. Last time I spoke to you, I wanted to help you relate to God. I still think that is the whole point of being here, so I'm at it again. Recently, a young man asked me, what if we are all in our homes? You know, there are thousands or millions of us who follow Jesus. What if we all pray at once? How can God hear and understand all of our prayers at the same time? That's a good question. God is so big and different from us, and his ways are mysterious, that it can be hard to relate to him. Around Easter time, I often talk to people about rabbits. If you're considering rabbits as pets, get in touch with me because there's a lot to say about the pros and cons and what to expect. There's also a lot to say about the fascinating biology of rabbits. But for now, I'll keep it short and talk to you about what I learned about God while living with rabbits. I'm sorry we can't be together in person. I wanted to bring a rabbit for you to play with. While I'm talking, close your eyes and imagine a cute little furry bunny. A human being like you or me. And God, the creator of the universe. How do you imagine God looks? When I was very young, I was told that we humans were made in God's image, but that the animals were not. I thought about that and asked myself, well, what can I tell for sure about what God looks like? What is the image of God, I wondered. I remember being very excited as a child when I solved the first piece of that puzzle. God has no tail. Almost all of the animals have tails, but people don't. So I can know for sure God doesn't have a tail, I thought. The rest of the pieces of that puzzle still elude me. But do your best and imagine God. God's word tells us that he is everywhere all at once. He can never get sick or hurt. He never makes mistakes. He knows absolutely everything and many more things that humans struggle to understand. In the same way, bunnies would struggle to understand people. Bunnies don't understand clothes or cars or cell phones or candy or grocery stores or medicine or rockets. They don't understand our ways, and God never told them to try, so they don't try to relate to people. People ask us a lot if rabbits are more like cats or more like dogs. We always tell them that rabbits are completely different from either cats or dogs. Cats and dogs are predators, but rabbits are prey, and they're super aware of it. God put their eyes on the sides of their head, so they're literally always looking over their shoulder. They don't really feel comfortable until they know of a hiding place that they can run to, and they much prefer to have their feet on solid ground. Adult rabbits don't pick each other up, so they're not fond of being picked up. Rabbits don't really understand petting. They do understand reciprocal grooming, so you can get away with petting them if you do it right and if you let them groom you. When we had rabbits, we thought we knew what was best for them, and we were all set to provide for everything they needed or wanted. We built them a few different houses along the way. We even made them a slide and an obstacle course that we thought would be fun for them. Even with all kinds of encouragement and physically helping them go down the slide, my kids couldn't ever get any of our rabbits to enjoy it. The rabbits just did silly things instead. Sometimes if we put out special food, they even just sat in it. In a similar way, God has some great ideas about how we should live our life. We might try, but God's ways seem awkward at first, and it's hard to understand how they could be good. God says, 
I know that helping yourself and receiving gifts is fun, but you should try helping others and giving gifts. These are some of my favorite things to do. We might try for a little bit, but we often miss the mark and give up. Bunnies spend a lot of time grooming themselves, but it's not good for them to consume their own fur, so they need to be combed regularly, which is good for them. So is trimming their nails, but they don't like either of those things. Sometimes they would give us an angry little bite. Other times, they would chew on things that we didn't want them to. We had to get a new couch that didn't have any piping or fringe or other detail that would tempt them to chew. We had to put ivory soap on our baseboards so the rabbits wouldn't eat them. We had to keep our TV remote out of reach, or the bunnies would eat the buttons off of it. None of these things made us hate the rabbits. We always loved them, even when they made our lives more complicated. Imagine how much more God loves those bunnies. They belong to him because he made them. He made you too, and you also belong to him. He'll never stop loving you. He even went to the cross for you. We learned that when you introduce two or three bunnies who don't know each other, they're going to have a little fight to see who will be the leader. In the human world, we vote to see who should be the leader. And in God's kingdom, he says the leaders will be the ones who can serve the best and sacrifice the most. No matter how hard we tried, we couldn't get the bunnies to vote. Fortunately, the fighting didn't last long. Bunnies have their own language, and if we learn a bit of it, we can relate to them better. For instance, if they wash their face in your presence, it means they trust you a little. If they rub their chin on you or anything else, it means they're claiming you. They have scent glands under their chin, and they want other animals to know that you and your shoes or anything else they rub their chin on belongs to them. They have strong back legs. They can jump more than four times their height. Imagine if you could just jump right up into a second-story window with ease. If they thump those strong back feet, that means they are on high alert, and all the other bunnies should be too. If they're mad at you, as they go away, they'll let you know by flipping their heels at you. It's totally not necessary. It's expressive. But if they love you, they will run in circles around you and sometimes hum quietly. Sometimes we worry about communicating with God and saying just the perfect things. But he made us after all, and he knows our hearts better than we do. Jesus came to experience human life. He knows our language, and he knows what we mean whenever we talk to him. Jesus really is the key to understanding God. He was the one human that could understand God the best because he is also God. Some Bibles have red letters when Jesus is speaking. You can trust those words. When Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like this, or my father's house is like that, or my father is like so, you can really trust what he's talking about. Sometimes it's hard to understand, but you don't need to understand it all at once. He knows it's difficult. He still felt it was worth telling you. The time when I was most successful at gaining our rabbit's trust and affection was when I tried to act like God the Father. I would spend half an hour or more at a time laying very still on the living room floor or on the grass in the backyard and just let the bunnies hop around and check me out if they wanted to. Half the time they didn't want to, so that was boring. But I would talk to them very quietly, and sometimes they would climb on me or lay down right beside me. This helped me imagine how it is for God when we go off and do our own thing 
and how much joy it brings him when we spend time with him. Imagine that you're laying on the grass, and a rabbit that you really like is doing silly things ten feet away. How much would you like the rabbit to come and lay with you and let you pet it? That is how much God wants you to talk to him and let him love you. Remember, you can tell him anything. Things you like, things you don't like, any strong feelings you have, or things you wonder about. Or you can just spend time with him in silence. It can be a struggle to relate to God, but I got a glimpse of his perspective. It helped me trust in his goodness and patience and to know how much he longs for our love. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In humility and faith, let us confess our sin to God. Almighty God, in Christ Jesus, you call us to be a servant people, but we do not do what you command. You call, but we do not always listen. We often walk away from neighbors in need, wrapped in our own concerns. We are often silent when we should speak, and useless when we could be useful. At this moment in time, teach us to be a good neighbor, O Lord. Teach us to put others' needs before our own. Teach us to be still at home and know that you are God. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Forgive us and free us from sin. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As Christ healed the afflicted and restored those who had died, so too, through him, our sins are forgiven and we are given new life. Christ presents us holy and blameless before God. Continue in the faith, remain stable and steadfast, and do not shift from the hope of the gospel. For it is in Christ Jesus we are forgiven. Amen.
As we continue in our Lenten series, our text this morning is John chapter 11, starting in verse 1 and ending in verse 45. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Martha was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble, because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Look, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, so that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. While Mary stayed at home, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God the one coming into the world. When Jesus, when she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. 
When Mary came when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Wherever you laid him. They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he, he, he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone, Martha. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he had been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in, in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In that first paragraph, we see that Jesus sees around every corner. We see that he has a friend in the small town of Bethany that is ill and about to die, that he's going to die. And that he's actually going to be raised again so that more people might believe that Jesus the Christ is the Messiah. In that second paragraph, starting in verse 7, The disciples let us know that that the cross is coming. The cross is coming. There's the the heat of coming after Jesus is about to boil boil over. It's not safe for them to travel around. It's not, they can't go and do miracles like they've been doing and teach like they've been doing. There's people about to stone Jesus. The conflict is coming to a head. You can just feel the tension in the air and the disciples are like, we're not going that way again. Why will we go that way again? And then Jesus, like he always does, teaches. He teaches who he is and what it's really about. 
he he kind of alludes to the truth that he's the light of the world. And of course everybody's kind of angry at him. Because when you're in darkness and you flip on the light, your eyes hurt. And the cockroaches scurry. And people hide. The next paragraph, he starts, he goes to the town. He goes to Bethany. And he's just outside the town. And out comes Martha. And like I said in my previous sermon about a John text, when Jesus talks to women in the Gospel of John, he talks theology. He once again lays out for Martha that he is the resurrection and the life. Out of this next paragraph, verses 17 through 27, which I just I, I just said that Martha is spoken to by Jesus about theology, it starts to become a reality. It starts to seep forward in, in, out of the text that this is small town culture. This is brothers and sisters. This is family that hurts when you hurt. Um, we find out that there's there's people mourning the death of Lazarus with these sisters, Mary and Martha. It's an old Hebrew custom. It's called sitting Shiva. And if you have some spare time, look into a book called The Mudhouse Sabbath. And there's a chapter in there about mourning. And we have a lot to learn from the Hebrew people about how to be sad, about how to miss someone but how to properly grieve and then he goes a little further actually the next paragraph we find out that Mary isn't too far behind and she runs out and she meets with Jesus notice that Mary and Martha both wish he had been there both believe he has power. Both believe that if he had been there, his brother or their, their brother wouldn't have died. And we, the readers, already know that the end of the story, but for a second, suspend that and step into the story with Mary and Martha. And be sad with them. Their brother had to go through death when Jesus was walking around on this planet. And they were they were a couple of the few people that knew that he had the power to save, to heal from sickness. Pause also and realize 
you're not alone. Because that next paragraph, Jesus walks into the scene and says, show me where he's buried. Jesus weeps. He sees all the people weeping and he's deeply troubled. That's what the text said. His guts hurt. His insides hurt. His soul hurts. Why? Jesus was fully man. Jesus was wrapped in flesh just like our flesh. He had arteries just like we have arteries. He had muscles. He had ligaments. He had bone. He feels your pain. He feels your pain and he sees you. In this time where we're all isolated, make sure you invite Jesus. To hurt with you. And then that next paragraph. And it's just like John. We studied John chapter 1. At the beginning of the year. Uh, in the month of January. And we drilled down deep. And we saw crystal clear. John loves to do this. He loves to do like give a cosmic view. And he loves to give. The intimate. The the human touch view. He's God with us. He's the makers of he's the maker of trees and the oceans and the sky and the universe. He's that God with us. Little old me, little old you. Because here's the cosmic view. This time he switches it. He says Jesus is fully human and he breaks and he hurts with us. And he reaches us in our deepest valleys and he meets us there. But he's God. When our family was living in the Midwest in Michigan... We would go down to Chicago every once in a while because I had a couple friends there. And uh, plus, it's a big city. It's second city. It's it's a cool city. It's got a lot of good pizza and uh, it's got a lot of good things to see. And w- one of the things we discovered was there was a Lincoln Park. There was a public park, uh, a public zoo. It was a Lincoln Zoo. That's what it's called, not a Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park is a band. Lincoln Zoo. It was a Lincoln Zoo in the. Uh, and it was a public zoo. You didn't have to pay to go in. And there was just animals hanging out in these cages. And the day that we were there, the lion was really close to the glass. And I, I, we were coming up to it. Like I was trying to, you know, kind of lock eyes with him. And I'm pretty sure he saw me. I'm pretty sure the lion saw me. But after we had moved on to another exhibit, somebody else had locked eyes with the lion or something. I don't know what had happened. But all of a sudden, the lion started to roar. The lion started to, and it, 
echoed off of the buildings. It, 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 I, I, it, I imagine almost the whole city of Chicago, you know, like it was so loud. There was, this lion was roaring and reminding everybody around, I'm the king of the jungle. I'm the king. I think of that when Jesus is, he said, it says he yells, he shouts, Lazarus, come out. I, I I imagine John being one of Jesus's best friends. This is probably one of the few times that he ever yelled. And that's probably why he he puts it in this text. He doesn't yell very much, but when he yells, dead people come alive. He holds the keys to life and death. The good news of the gospel is God made himself small so that he might meet us. But he also is God still. And he's big enough to handle anything we could possibly throw at him. And then he comes out of the grave. Lazarus comes out of the grave. And all of this is foreshadowing, right? I want to back. This is the Mary that washed Jesus's feet with her hair. Preparation. You know when you would wash people's feet in preparation for burial. That was foreshadowing of him being dead and dying for all of our sins. And John paints this picture of a tomb being emptied. To foreshadow Easter Sunday morning. The grave being empty. All of those who follow Jesus, their sins being buried with Jesus, crucified with Jesus, dead and buried with Jesus, and then all those that follow Jesus rising again like Lazarus before Easter like Jesus after Easter. And then, oh, John includes that, verse 45. And a lot of people believed in him because they saw this with their own two eyes. I'd like to remind everybody in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says the reason why he writes the gospel of John. John gives us his intention behind writing his, this, this book that we're reading. He says these words, These are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? The Savior. The Rescuer. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He's the Holy One. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And that believe and that through believing you may have life in his name. I found the more that I read John, those three components are in every part of this gospel. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the guy who rolls into town and pulls 
Lazarus out of the grave, saves him from death. He's the son of God. He has the power to speak over life and death. And Lazarus, as he believes in this son of God and this Messiah's name, Jesus the Christ, he has life. He has life. How do we apply apply this? We invite Jesus into our suffering. We welcome him. We don't suffer alone. We suffer and are met by the suffering Savior, Jesus the Christ, in our suffering. And we remember we are Easter people. We have life in the name of Jesus. Like Lazarus, spiritually, we've all been dead. And we've all been brought back to life through Jesus calling us from our graves. As I met with Erlinda and Don, co-chairs of our worship committee, this week via Zoom, Erlinda burst forth just with a joyful smile after coming to the idea, coming to the conclusion the first time we gather together as a community again, Presbyterian Church of the Covenant, family, it should be Easter. We are Easter people. So we have that to look forward to. Let's continue in our worship of Jesus our Redeemer, our Lord, and our gateway into true eternal life. Now's the part of the service where we give back to God a portion of the riches He has so generously poured out on us. I have two points of clarity before we call for the offering and tithes. The first point is the Finance Committee has told us that we can last three months without receiving any tithes or offerings, and that's something to praise God for. We're in a healthy, good place. And they've also let let me know that they'll keep us posted on how we're doing, where we're at. Since I didn't call for an offering that first week, we don't really have any information right now, but more information will come next next week, and I will be sure to let us know where we're at. Uh, the second port of clarity, I learned this week that our church has two zip codes. We have a physical building zip code, which is 92626, and then we have a post office zip code which is 92628 
I've been told by the post office and by everybody involved that both will end up in our post office box. They've learned that we are confused about this situation and they have given us grace upon grace. But mail your tithes and your offerings to Presbyterian Church of the Covenant, P.O. Box 2128, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. This morning's tithes and offerings are now received. like these, when our hearts are heavy and many concerns abound, we may feel like we don't really know how we should pray, how to put our anxieties into words. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he wrote, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, 
because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So trusting in the, in the Spirit for guidance, we join together and we lift our prayers to the will of God. Almighty God, in Jesus Christ, you taught us to pray. Guide us by your Spirit that our prayers may serve your will and show your steadfast love. God of compassion, our hearts and minds are overwhelmed when as a community, state, and nation, we are looking at a world so different from the one we knew a short time ago. Priorities have changed. Lives are disrupted. We have concern for the everyday needs of life we once took for granted. Some are concerned that they have no income at present, that they have no way to pay rent, to buy groceries, to obtain the essentials of life for their families. Some are losing hope for what the future holds for them. And over all these concerns lies the potential danger of the coronavirus or COVID-19 and what it means to us individually as we remain in isolation and what it means to us as a nation and for the welfare of all. It is a very real threat to our well-being and we don't know what to do. Help us to remember, O oh God, that you are the one who said, I will never leave or forsake you, and I am with you always. Help us remember that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love. Help us remember that you are God, and that you can and you will calm the storm. Put your protecting hand around us as we face these challenging days. Lead us safely through the valleys of the shadows and take us through all danger. Strengthen this church in its love and worship. Help us to willingly be your hands and your feet in our communities. May we reach out in love to our neighbors and bring your perfect peace into stressful times and places. We pray for those who are ill and for those who suffer, especially with this virus. Surround them with your love, support them with your strength, console them with your comfort, and give them hope and courage beyond themselves. We pray especially for Leanne and Kevin Stroman as they are hospitalized with COVID-19 and their son who is being treated at home. We pray for all who need healing, whether in a hospital, at home, or without symptoms. Cease the spread of this disease and empower those who are working for a cure and effective treatments. We pray now in silence for those we know and love who are facing any health challenges. We pray with gratitude for all those on the front lines dealing with this illness, doctors, nurses, police, and fire, 
and all the support personnel in the background. Give them renewed energy and protection. We pray for the world and the nations in their priorities as well as their struggle with disease. Give all the right priorities. As we continue through this season of Lent, remind us that you sent your Son to be the light of the world and that your kingdom is present in our world. Renew us by your Holy Spirit that we may follow your commands and proclaim your reign of love through Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Once again, thanks for joining us. And once again, remember I miss you like crazy. Please reach out to one another. Please be texting, be calling. If you have a directory, a PCC directory, call some of our older congregants. Let them know you're praying for them. Let them know you're thinking of them. Remember, you are loved by the Heavenly Father with no limits. And now, receive this morning's benediction. May God's face shine upon you. May the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit guard and keep you. And may the peace of Christ, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds today, tomorrow, and forevermore. May it be so. Amen.